Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In three, two, one. Seven things you really ought to know about 9-11. I'm Jamie East and this is the Smartest Seven. Hello and welcome to a new occasional series from the creators of the daily news podcast, The Smart 7. We'll take a look in more detail at a significant moment or topic, providing clear and concise information that gets you up to speed on the what, the why and the how. Our first episode looks at the events of September the 11th, 2001, a day now known simply as 9-11. 20 years on, we look at what happened and why, what the events on that day led to and how it's taken 20 years for the war in Afghanistan that followed 9-11 to finally end. Our guests include Dave Tereshuk and Bruce Hoffman and will feature some of the audio that defines the events of that day and the aftermath. For the public at large, the summer of 2001 was perfectly normal. Brian Dowling had just won Big Brother, the coughing major was in trouble over who wants to be a millionaire, and Google had just filed for a patent for a page rank algorithm that would change the internet forever. I'm David Terrestrook, I'm a television correspondent in the United States. And back in September 2001, I was working at the United Nations as part of the media team there. The events of 9-11 came as a shock to most people, but for those who studied global politics and the growing influence of Osama bin Laden on Islamic terror groups, 9-11 wasn't a complete surprise. It was, at the very least, unexpected, certainly by the public, and I'm afraid to say by many people in the intelligence services too. The signs were there. that connection to the blind sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman was there, and very distressing uh, bombings were already taking place with American targets, not in the United States of America, but the U.S. embassies in East Africa, in Kenya and Tanzania, plus um, a U.S. Navy ship, the USS Cole, in Yemen, that was in 2000. So it was all gathering force, but as I say, the dots were not being connected very well. It was 8.46am New York time when American Airlines Flight 11 hit the North Tower of the World Trade Center. This just in, you were looking at obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has Something devastating has happened and again, unconfirmed reports that a plane has crashed into one of the towers there. We are efforting more information on this subject. 17 minutes later, as the world watched live, it happened again. This time, United Flight 175 flew into the South Tower and the world realised it wasn't some terrible accident, but someone's terrible master plan. 
Both planes had been hijacked and were full of passengers. My first uh, awareness of the terrorist attacks was to come out of the subway, walk to my office building to find that it was being evacuated. I had to share my cell phone with lots of people who were trying to phone their families to tell them that they were okay. Uh, And then, of course, the entire city was in total lockdown. All the uh, first responders uh, rushed down uh, downtown to what became known as Ground Zero. Uh, And, of course, there was uh, an instant scrambling of uh, U.S. Air Force. I'm Bruce Hoffman. I'm a professor at Georgetown University in the School of Foreign Service, and I'm also the senior fellow for counterterrorism and homeland security at the Council on Foreign Relations. It was a sense that we were certainly under attack, and the big question was where would the next attacks be? Have you got information on that yet? Yeah, he's down. He's down? Yes. When did he land? He did not land. Oh, he's down? Yes. Yeah. Somewhere up north. I got the Even as the world struggled to understand what was happening in New York, there were two more hijackings underway. Oh my goodness, we're looking at a uh, live picture from Washington and there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. At 9.37, a third jet, American 77, plowed into the Pentagon and 26 minutes later, United Flight 93 crashed into a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania as the passengers attempted to overwhelm the hijackers who forced the plane down. On the morning of September 11th, 2001, I was basically across the street from the Pentagon. So I was uh, about as close as you could get without, without being adversely affected from the crash of American Airlines Flight 77 into the side of the building. The federal government had shut down, had told everyone to go home. Every business in Washington, D.C. had closed down. The streets were absolutely packed with vehicles and people. The metro, you know, there's rows and rows of people. No one could get anywhere. There was just complete gridlock. And I remember standing across from the Pentagon, the smoke coming out of the building, these throngs and crowds surrounding me. And I honestly thought that World War III had begun. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. It is hard even to contemplate the utter carnage and terror which has engulfed so many innocent people. The footage horrified the world and sent shockwaves of panic throughout every major government. One of the defining images of the 9-11 attack was George W. Bush sitting in a children's school, seemingly stunned by what was being whispered in his ear. But within a few days, he'd regrouped, visiting Ground Zero, where he started the process of pulling a shattered nation together again with a rallying cry. I want you all to know that America today is on bended knees in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here, for the workers who work here, as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! The US response moved quickly to thoughts of revenge with Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld at the controls. Do you consider what happened today both in New York and here an act of war? What words the lawyers will use to characterize it 
uh, is for them. The 19 attackers were from a group called Al-Qaeda, and by September the 17th, Osama bin Laden had been identified as the mastermind of the attacks. I was working at a government think tank then. Everyone immediately concluded it must be Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. He had already declared war on the United States twice. You know, looking back, and even then, there was no one else, really, we could have thought who would do this. Once bin Laden had claimed responsibility, the phrase war on terror became part of our everyday language. President Bush described it as a war on terror, which even back then I thought was a colossal mistake, because terror is an emotion. How do you fight a war against an enemy called terror? A lot of vagueness about that. And basically, if you declare war on emotion, that means that anything that scares you becomes a threat and becomes an enemy. Seemed to excuse lots of things that uh, previously Americans would have been horrified about. The path to invading Iraq was, in essence, starting to be paved. The CIA turning to torture. I think the attacks were used as, a, as an excuse for lots of uh, policies that uh, America would not have, in, in the normal run of events, have ever countenanced. At some point in September, President Bush had used an even more infelicitous phrase. He described it as a crusade. And of course, for Muslim people throughout the world, but particularly in the Middle East, that's a very loaded term, which suggests a religious war, which is, of course, what President Bush and Prime Minister Blair were, de were vehemently denying that this was a war on Islam. And we're facing a new kind of enemy, somebody so barbaric that they would fly airplanes into buildings full of innocent people. This crusade, this war on terrorism is going to take a while. Still to come on The Smarter 7, Bin Laden's eventual capture, conspiracy theories, and how we're still feeling the aftershocks of 9-11 20 years on. Right after this. Welcome back to The Smarter 7. If you've just stumbled across us, you might like to give us a follow. We bring you the world's seven biggest stories in under seven minutes every day at 7am. It took 10 long years for the United States to track down the 9-11 mastermind Osama bin Laden, and despite the war on terror and many long years of hunting him along the border with Pakistan, he remained elusive. I mean, the, the, the hunt for Osama bin Laden was uh, a combination of uh, terrible errors. We had a chance to kill or capture him at Tora Bora in December 2001. The problem was there were more journalists at Tora Bora than there were US soldiers, and bin Laden was able to get away. It was in May 2011 with Barack Obama in the White House that justice finally came knocking in the middle of the night. He eventually was found and killed uh, in the Pakistani town of uh, Abbottabad. It was one of those extraordinary occasions where the public was uh, given the chance to see behind the curtain a little bit. It was US Navy SEALs and they uh, carried out the operation um, very successfully and uh, killed Osama bin Laden. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of al-Qaeda, and a terrorist who's responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. The images of 9-11 are seared into our national memory. And yet we know that the worst images are those that were unseen to the world. The empty seat at the dinner table, children who were forced to grow up without their mother or their father, Parents who would never know the feeling of their child's embrace. Nearly 3,000 citizens taken from us. 
leaving a gaping hole in our hearts. Uh, and that, you would have thought, would be uh, a major victory. One of the peculiar things about 9-11 was that even though the full attack happened live on TV, the events in the aftermath have been swirling in conspiracy theories ever since. This is not gravity at work. It's only explosives and incendiaries can do this. Theories range from a controlled explosion to collapse the towers, through to the Pentagon attack never happening, and phrases such as false flag operation becoming common on message boards and chat rooms across the internet. And more stuff is coming out now also. How much the Bush administration ignored the intelligence. It was almost like they ignored it because they wanted it to happen. So what was it about 9-11 that led to so many conspiracy theories? Here's Dave Tereshkirk again. The enormity of the attack on the Twin Towers sparked an awful lot of uh, extraordinary thinking, uh, even to the, to the extent of believing that someone somewhere in power had set this whole thing up. And that, of course, is just crazy. But it's the kind of thing that a a certain strand in American thinking can get attracted to. An awful lot of people have gained extraordinary reputations uh, by, by trading in these conspiracy theories. For the United States, after almost 20 years in Afghanistan in theory fighting a war on terror, it was only in the last few years that a public appetite to end the forever wars came to the fore. Former President Trump stuck an implausible deal with the Taliban without involving the government of Afghanistan. And the results of that deal are what's played out over the last month. President Biden stuck to the plan more or less, pulling out over 120,000 individuals in a frenetic airlift to allow him to declare on August the 31st, 2021. The war in Afghanistan is now over. Remember why we went to Afghanistan in the first place? Because we were attacked by Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda on September 11th, 2001. And they were based in Afghanistan. We delivered justice to bin Laden over a decade ago. To those who engage in terrorism against us or our allies, know this. We'll hunt you down to the ends of the earth and we will, you will pay the ultimate price. But what's next for Afghanistan, now facing the prospect of a Taliban government once again after 20 years of war on terror? It's very hard to say what has been gained uh, by America fighting this forever war. And it's understandable that people should be saying to each other, why have we wasted all these lives, all this blood and treasure uh, on a distant country uh, that is no, in no way changed ultimately in the end? The argument has been all along that, uh, that, that they have at least instituted a different kind of Afghanistan. They've helped to implement policies that change the nature of that country. Uh, and of course, the position of women has been changed enormously. But of course, even when that's acknowledged, we're still left with the t- Taliban back in power, uh, and it's still not clear how much they're going to return to their old, old ways of running the country, uh, but it, it's not looking good. Neither I, I think, nor anyone in their right minds ever envisioned that this war would be lasting two decades. As then General Mattis, when he was James Mattis, when he was commander of U.S. Central Command, said back in 2013, um, The war's over only when the enemy declares it's over. I wonder where it will all end. 
this has been the Smarter 7, a bonus episode to get you up to speed on big and often complex stories. The regular Smart 7 is published every day at 7am. Search and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.